this weekend? Glad you're here. How many of you are glad you're here? Anybody? Okay. Good. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us from an off-site campus uh, or on the internet or wherever you happen to be. We're glad that you're along. If you're listening to a podcast and you're going, is this Greg Sret? Sounds like Luther Vandross. <clears throat> it's okay. That's, that's what I'm doing. Got a little of the allergy stuff going on. It's all right. I feel fine. Hey, let me, uh, let me do this. Let me ask you two questions this week, all right? Two questions. Question number one, are you happy? Before you say anything, and it's like, yeah, I'm happy. No, let, let, let's take it a little deeper, okay? In, in, like in your, in your quietest times, in your alone times, when you look deep down inside of you, how would you answer, am I happy? Okay? Think about that. Here's the second question. Um, what would it take to make you happy? What would it take to make you happy? All right, now, here's what I think. I think about most people, if you just took a microcosm of the world, the answer, or let's just say America, or let's say our slice of America here in the southeast. If you ask most people, are you happy? The answer would probably be no. And if you ask them, what would it make to take you, or what would it take to make you happy? If my preacher would talk right, that would be a start. The answer would be more. More love, more affection, more relationship, more status, more money, because that's kind of how we feel. You remember the song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction? I was going to sing that for you, but my voice is not good. I can't get no... You know, 45 years later, do you realize that? Some of you guys are old. 45 years later, that song still resonates, doesn't it? You still hear it as a common complaint. All the time you meet people who are unhappy, unfulfilled, unsatisfied. And if you were to believe what the commercials on TV tell you, uh, that you'd think that contentment was something that could be sprayed on, rolled on, inhaled, eaten, or driven, or even preached from. Okay, here's the deal. This week's message is on contentment. Apple screws it up for me royally by releasing what? An iPad 2. I have an iPad 1. I liked it a lot until this week. It doesn't have cameras anywhere, front, back. This one's really thick, isn't it? I mean, because that one is, uh, what, half as thin? No, it's, it's one-third as thin, I think. And it's twice as fast. And, it's got a camera. and sometime Wednesday, my contentment level plummeted. I can't get no satisfaction from this deal. I need more. So why do we get caught up in this spin cycle of discontent? I'm reading in Proverbs every day these days. Just going to try to get some of that into my spirit. Proverbs 27, 20 says this. Human desires 
are like the world of the dead. There is always room for more. A little graphic, but it's true, isn't it? Just always room for more human desires. We think if I could just have a little bit more, I'd be satisfied. But the truth is this. True contentment is found in wanting what you have, not in pursuing what you want. Did you get that? True contentment. That's, that's the message. If you're really in a hurry, you can leave right now. <laughs> True contentment is found in wanting what you have, not in the pursuit of having what you want because you will always 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 want more ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10 says you will never be satisfied if you long to be rich you will never get all you want okay so here's here's what we think we think okay if 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 i could have more let's talk about money for a minute If 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 i could have more money I'd be more content. What does what having more really bring? Let me, let me give you two or three things. It brings more expenses. It always costs more to have more. Somebody said if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, then their water bill is higher. How many of you would agree with that? <laughs> or this week, I, <laughs> I was thinking about that. Or the septic tank exploded. You know, I mean, that, that could be the reason. I thought that was funny, but evidently not. <laughs> either way, <laughs> either way. Either way, it's more expensive, isn't it? You're struggling right now on what you dreamed of just a few years ago. Ecclesiastes 5.11 says, The more money you have, the more you spend, right up to the limits of your income. Does anybody have a testimony on that real quick? Yeah. Yeah, so it's more expensive. Having more brings more worries. More worries. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, A working man can get a good night's sleep, but the rich man has so much... But he stays awake worrying. Worrying, how can he save it in this economy? How can I get you know, a, a return on my money? How should I invest it? How do I insure it? How do I avoid taxes on it? The writer of Ecclesiastes says insomnia increases with income. He says that the blue-collar guy actually sleeps better than the rich guy. We've got chiropractors who are my friends here in the church. I see one of them right over here. Did you know that bigger wallets put pressure on your spine? Did you know that? Just thought about that. Let's think about it. So, so what's the secret? What's the secret to a satisfying life? You know what? If you could bottle up the secret to contentment, you could, you could have more overnight. You could make a million dollars overnight. Well, we're in a series right now from Philippians. We're going verse by verse through Philippians. We call it the DNA of joy. We're learning what joy is, the difference between joy and happiness, and then some practical ways to apply it uh, in our lives. And uh, this week, the writer Paul has discovered, he says, the secret of contentment. He's discovered it, the secret of contentment, and he, and he, and he shares it. Now, just a little background on this passage. Uh, to understand this passage, you need to understand that this letter... It's kind of like a missions letter. Have you ever gone on a missions trip? Have you ever gone on one? Uh, and you had to write out support letters, you know, and you always put, you know, uh, I'm going on a mission trip. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to help me grow. We're going to help other people, and I need your support. But, but you know, if you don't give me finances, it'd be great if you just pray for me. Okay, and you're just lying like a skunk because you need the finances. <laughs> you really don't care how much they pray. Just bring the Benjamins my way. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're just keeping it real right now, right? Okay. Well, Paul 
legitimately says that. We had a little discussion in our message planning this week about how, how serious he is about his whole concept of not needing their money. And I, th- I think he is. I, I, I think he is. He's, it's like a mission support letter, except he says he doesn't really need their support. At least he doesn't need it to be satisfied. And so let's read it. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. It's on your outline sheet or on the screens uh, in front of you, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says this. How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Just real quickly, before we kind of get into the meat of this thing, let me give you three quick lessons. It's not on your outline sheet. You might want to write it down. Three things that we know or that he kind of says about contentment he says first of all contentment is a learned experience he says i have learned see you are you you don't you're not born content it's it's really not something even that that happens to you when you get born again i mean some people kind of get a bigger dose than others maybe or whatever but it's just not natural to be content to be discontent is natural just like complaining is natural remember the message about shining like stars if we just learn not to complain and contentment is not a natural reaction the natural reaction is discontent and paul says i have learned to be content second thing i know about contentment is that you learn contentment when you go through tough times you go through tough times. He says, I know what it is to live on almost nothing or with everything. Now, you can learn things with everything, but usually you're not even paying attention. When you have everything, some of you have been there, so you may be there now. When you just have a lot of margin, you know, and that's not a bad thing to have a lot of margin. But when you have a lot of margin, a lot of times you waste more than you almost would need when you don't have margin. It's when you don't have margin, when you learn contentment. It's tough times that you learn to depend on God. Somebody said you never really know that God is all you need until He's all you have. Would you agree with that? Third thing I know about contentment is when you learn contentment, it removes the lid. Listen to this. It removes the lid on achievement. How do I know that? He says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I don't have to wait for the right circumstances. I don't have to wait until I have a certain amount of money. There is nothing that I need currently in my life that keeps me from achieving the will of God. When you learn contentment, it lifts the lid on achievement. That's incredible, isn't it? Now, Contentment is not apathy or laziness or complacency. It's not sitting around all day in your pajamas playing video games. You say, boy, he's really content. No, he's lazy and has no ambition. 
Okay? Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two. But with a little bit of discernment, you can. Contentment is not settling for less. Really, it's asking for more. It's saying, God, okay, I'm, I'm okay where I am. Give me more responsibility. Paul wants to plant more churches. He wants to reach more people. He wants to write more books. It's not about you know, lack of ambition. <coughs> it's a lack of selfish ambition. <coughs> that sounds terrible, but it's really not that bad. Hey, is there water anywhere? You guys can... Good, let's just talk amongst ourselves for a minute. <coughs> I should have brought some up with me. Contentment is an internal satisfaction that doesn't demand a change in external circumstances. Did you get that, or are you just watching me struggle through it? (laughs) It says, oh, that's a good one. That's a lot. Wow. Could you get me a diet Mountain Dew? (laughs) Not really. You don't have to wait for better circumstances to accomplish what God's best is for you because you already have it. So before we talk about how to be content, I want to talk about the enemies of contentment because John 10.10 says you have an enemy. He's the devil. He's the evil one. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you, your family, everything good that you have, your contentment. So there's this, I, want to, I want to talk about it a little bit. I want to talk about it through a story that Jesus told. I think it's an incredible story about contentment and the enemies of contentment. Um, it's a story he tells in Matthew chapter 20. And it's a classic. There's a landowner that has a vineyard. And um, what he needs is he needs day laborers to work in the vineyard. And so he's, he's going to hire them. And what he does is he, he comes into town. And evidently there's a place where the laborers kind of gather, those that want to work. And he comes in to get them. And he comes in really early because he wants the best laborers uh, the earliest ones are probably the more, you know, ambitious ones. And so he comes really, really early and he hires a group of guys and, and he says to them, he says, I will pay you a day's wage if you'll come work in my vineyard. And they're all excited about it. They go to work. At nine o'clock, the Bible says, he just happened to be walking through kind of the town part or the marketplace and he saw some guys standing around. Uh, that evidently, I don't know what happened to him. Maybe there wasn't enough work for him everywhere else, or maybe they were just late. Probably that was it. They were late getting there, and they're just kind of standing around. And so he hires them, too. And he, and he says this. He says, I will pay you what is right at the end of the day. And he does this a couple more times. At noon, he comes back through and does the same thing. At 3 in the afternoon, and actually, at 5 in the afternoon, he does the same thing. And we're going to pick up the story as we talk about the enemies of contentment in verse 8. It says, That evening he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. Now, this story would have been a lot better. Now, it wouldn't have been better. It would have been easier on the guys if he'd have started with the guys early in the morning first. Okay, because then nobody would have... Well, you'll, you'll get it. Watch this. Beginning with the last workers first, when those hired at 5 o'clock were paid... Each received a full day's wage. Those that were hired at 5 o'clock, they received a full day's wage. When those hired earlier, those that were hired at 3 and at 12 and at 9 and at daybreak, can't you imagine that their expectations were a little bit higher? Oh, good, those guys got a full day's wage. I'm going to get more. Watch this. They assumed. 
that they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. How do you think that played? How would that play with you? Put you into the situation. Oh God, you're so awesome. Thank you. No, you'd have done the same thing they did. Because here's an enemy of contentment, expectations. When you expect more than you get. See, what they were excited about when they were hired didn't cut it anymore. They were very excited. Going to get paid for a full day's wage. But their expectations had changed. They assumed. When, when, when the guy said, hey, guys at five are getting paid a full day, they were figuring, they got their little calculators out, they were figuring, you know, well, ours is going to be more, ours is going to be more. They assumed. And then, and then they were really upset when they got the same thing. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, n- none of you guys here, but like at the campuses, okay? <clears throat> you got a raise maybe at work. And you know, it, it, your company, your employer, whatever, gave, gave you a raise, but you were expecting more. Have you ever had that happen? And you couldn't even be grateful for what you got because of what? Because of discontentment. And, it, and you actually found yourself resenting your boss, resenting the company, even resenting the raise. See, that's true of everything in life. It's true of affection. When we expect more affection than we're getting from our spouse, when our spouse gives us anything, it's not enough. We're discontent. It's true of relationships. It's true of respect. It's true of positions. When you expect more than you get, the result will always be discontentedness and you will lose the joy that God has for you. So expectations are number one. Oh, this is cool. Did I mention that one of the guys in the church built this? This is really nice. Okay. <clears throat> the second enemy of discontentment or of contentment is comparison. Comparison. You think others have more than you have. Verse 11. When they received their pay, they protested. Those people who worked only an hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. See, the moment they began to compare, they lost the joy of their contentment. Paul said this. He said, in every circumstance, I've learned to be content. God took him through a lot of stuff. And if you read through Paul's life, there were people who were more talented. There were people who uh, had a bigger following than he did. But it says, you know what? In every circumstance, I learned contentment. There will always be people that make more money than you do. There will always be people who have greater opportunities in life than you have. And people who have fewer problems. So what? That has no bearing on your own personal happiness. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18 says, we don't look at the troubles that we see right now. Rather, we look forward to where we have not, what we have not seen for the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. Paul says, I don't look around. I look up. Doesn't matter what you make. Or the, or, or the chances that you get. He says, I look up. Because that's what it's all about. I don't compare myself to other people. Second Corinthians 10 and verse 12 says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with others. It is not wise. Are you comparing yourself to anybody right now? At work or maybe it's in another arena? It's not wise. 
See, nothing depreciates your car faster than your neighbors buying a new one. How have you know that? It just ruins everything. Great Scripture. Galatians 6 and verse 4 says, Be sure to do what you should, for then you will enjoy the personal satisfaction of having done your work well. And you won't need to compare yourself to anybody else. Parents, that's a refrigerator verse to teach your kids. It's great to get A's. You know, you ought to work for that. But B's are okay too. Whatever you're capable of. We're not going to compare you to little Johnny or, you know, Rachel or whoever it happens to be. You just do your very, very best. Expectations, comparisons, destroy contentment. There's a third thing, and that's envy. Envy. You resent what someone else has received. It's different than comparing. You say, well, you know, I'm not the same. But it's, you resent what somebody else has. Look at the, let's go back to the story. It says, but he answered one of them, friend, I, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a particular amount of money? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who is hired last the same as I want to give you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? See, I want to be generous. Here's, here's what I know about grace and generosity. Grace and generosity is never fair. If you're into fairness, now fairness is right in some situations, but grace and generosity are never fair. See? And they're trying to hold him to a fairness standard. He said, I want to be generous. So what's envy? They're envious. It's resenting God's goodness in other people's life, and it's ignoring God's goodness in your own life. Envy says, not only do I want greener grass than yours, but I'm praying for yours to turn brown. Okay? That's what envy is all about. And it can show, it can show up in any relationship. It can show up, you know, in churches. It can show up in families, at work, at school. In the Bible, you've got envy with Cain and Abel, that whole story. You've got envy with Joseph and his brothers. I mean, he wasn't real wise. Wisdom wasn't his strong suit early on. When he got a vision from God, he's going to be a leader and his brothers were going to bow down to him. And he's the youngest guy of the bunch. Wisdom says, mm, sit on that for a while. But he comes out and says, hey, I got a great revelation from God. I'm going to be a leader and you guys are going to bow down to me. It's awesome, don't you think? And they, and they go, no, not really. It's not that awesome. <laughs> it's not fair. At work, it's called professional envy. We look over our shoulder to see who has, who's got the office with the window. Who has the most gifted children? Who has the best assignments? Who gets the most pay? That never happens at Seacoast. We have about 150 employees. Well, it happens every once in a while. Because our employees are normal. They're like you and me. They battle. They battle with contentment. It's a learned process. You learn it in difficult situations. And when you learn it, it takes the lid off of achievement see each of us are the most susceptible to envy in the areas where we feel the most weak i love the next verse proverbs fourteen thirty. a relaxed attitude lengthens life some of you just need to chill just chill you'll live longer it says then it goes on and it says jealousy or envy that's what envy jealousy is a piece of envy it rots uh, uh, rots us away from the inside. Envy eats you up on the inside. 
when, you, when you're saying, it's not fair. Whether you're saying it out, out loud, it's even worse when you're saying it inside. It's not fair. She gets all the breaks. Why don't I get any of them? He's the lucky one. I never get anything. See, if I told you that you had cancer, but it was operable, that they could get it if you just have the surgery, you'd do something about it. You'd, you'd go for it. And here's what I'm saying. Envy, resentment, discontentment is like a cancer growing inside. You got to cut it out. You can't, you can't let any of it, the roots of it, anywhere in your life because it'll spring up and spoil everything. So expectations, comparison, and envy kill contentment. So how can I learn to be content? Let me give you three words. Ask the Lord for three words on this. And here's what I got. The first word is stewardship. Stewardship. If you're going to combat uh, discontentment, you've got to remember that everything belongs to God. Everything you have. Everything you drive in. Everything you sleep on. Everything you live in. Everything you have belongs to God. What we have is a gift from Him. Stewardship. It's this old word. Stewardship. We are stewards. He gives it to us to use for a while, but it's His. And the problem is we forget that quickly. Did I mention I like iPads? (laughs) Can I tell you something about iPads as a grandpa? If you want to be a great, really a good grandpa, get you one of these. Because when you have an iPad, let me tell you what happened. I'll tell you about my grandkids, but a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking in Arizona, and uh, the pastor there had uh, three little girls. One was six and a pair of twins that were four, I believe. And uh, I met them, and they were kind of shy, standoffish, and I thought, I'm going to win their hearts over. And so they took me out to eat the night before I preached, and so I brought my iPad. And I got it loaded up with fun games for like three-year-olds and four-year-olds. And so I let them use my iPad. And can, can I tell you, by the end of the weekend, I was the Mac Daddy. They said, well, how did you do that? I said, I am an experienced grandparent. I know how it works. But here's what I see in my grandkids. Addison and Miles are the two really at this point that are all that interested in my iPad. Um, when I give it to them, they're really grateful for it. But like when it's time to go, I can see in their eyes sometimes they cross the line of whose it really is. You know what I'm saying? It's like, could I have my iPad back? And you can just see in their little eyes, your iPad? I'm using the iPad right now. And I'm thinking, I bought the iPad. In fact, I bought the clothes that you're wearing right now. You understand what I'm saying? And so we're just grown up little kids. And God gives us an iPad. Only we drive in it. Or He gives us a house. We sleep in it. He gives us a job. We work at it. It's His iPad. It's God's. It's not ours. Understand that. This is one of the keys to being content in everything. It's the key to a successful life. When you figure out everything that you have is yours. Some people get a nosebleed in this whole money area when you say, well, you know what? God wants you to give a tithe. I can't do that. 
And really what we ought to be praying, I'll talk about this in another series probably, about our money, honestly, and it's freeing when you do this. We ought to be saying, God, how much do you want me to keep? It's yours. It's yours. It's not mine. I'm using it. How much do you want me to use? And how much do you want me to give away to my church and to various needs and people? And that's just a whole nother deal. But it's stewardship. First Timothy uh, 6 and verse 7 says, We didn't bring anything with us when we came into the world. And then we certainly cannot carry anything with us when we die. How many of you ever seen a hearse on a, or with a U-Haul? Have you ever seen that? That's all his stuff. We're taking it with him. They're going to go ahead and bury it with him. Can I have some of that? I'll just write a check for it and we'll give it to him. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny, but not so much. <laughs> so if we have enough food, he says, and clothing, let us be content. All possessions are temporary. They're just loaned to us and we use them while we're here on earth. Have a good time with them. You know, it's not a legalistic thing. God gives you stuff. Have a good time. Use it. Use them for His glory. But they're not going to last. If you're going to be content, you've got to understand stewardship. Everything is God's. God has provided all that I need for my current happiness. Second word is this. Gratitude. Gratitude. Simply means to be thankful for what we have, not coveting what others have. See, when you expect more, what you need to do is do a reality check. What do you deserve? Apart from Jesus, what do you deserve? Distance from God. Call it whatever you want to. You deserve to be distant from God. Jesus came. He died. You have eternal life. Anything else is gravy. Okay? I don't deserve, I don't deserve what I have. Great story. I've told it before. I love it. Story of Marcinius. Marcinius, Christian guy, lived in the 5th century in Egypt. And um, he was fed up with all of the distractions in the materialistic world that he lived in. And so he decided to do something radical. And so he goes into the desert and he decides he's going to live in the desert for a while. So he lives there for an extended time, just kind of as as a hermit by himself. And he falls in love with God fresh again. So after his self-imposed sabbatical, he comes back to the city and, and he comes into the city marketplace. And this is what he said. He said, my heart leapt with joy within me with all of the things that I saw but did not need. Is that what you say when you go to Lowe's, guys? My heart leaps with joy within me to see all of the tools that I do not need. Ladies, when you go to the mall... My heart leaps with joy within me when I see all of the beautiful things. But I do not need. <laughs> wow. Ecclesiastes 6 9 said, It is better to see what you have than to want more. Wanting more is useless like chasing the wind. So when you look at your neighbor's yard and it looks greener, fertilize and water yours, okay? Fertilize and water yours. Third word is surrender. Surrender. Pray for grace to let go of the desire 
for what we don't have. This is not an easy thing. It goes to the very core of who we are. That's why I said in the very first question, are you happy? Don't just you know, knee-jerk, yeah, I'm happy. Think about it. Am I really? And some of you are. Some of you are getting to a place where you're kind of learning. I mean, you go in and out of it if you're like me. But your, your periods in contentment and happiness are longer than they used to be. And part of it's because we learn to surrender. Contentment is more about posture than it is about position. Surrender to God. God, I'm yours. Colossians 3 and verse 2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. See, ask God to give you the grace to do that. God, I want to set my mind on things above, but my mind is so distracted by all this. Just surrender. Ask Him. Say, God, give me your grace. And He will. He loves to lavish His grace on those that ask for Him. God, help me to refocus on things that will last iPads and cars and houses, they're all good. They're all good things, but they'll, they'll burn up someday. So when I focus on making God number one in my life, comparisons and envy and expectations are irrelevant. When I really understand, God, I'm unique. I'm unique. I don't have to compete with anybody. I have a reason for being. I have a niche that you've created me for. I'm just going to do my best and I'm going to be rewarded for it someday. It doesn't matter who gets the perks at the office. It doesn't matter who gets ahead. Because God, I'm going to play for an audience of one. Help me to surrender to that idea that I am unique. In fact, why don't you help the person next to you? Why don't you just tell them, you know what? You are a piece of work. Can you do that just real quickly? You are a piece of work. You are unique. Okay. All right, come back. Come back. Focus. Focus. Somebody here who's a thinking person says, you know, but life isn't fair. This is kind of Pollyanna, Greg. If I, if, if I acted like this, and there'd be people that get away with, it, with things, life isn't fair. And you know what? You're right. Sometimes the bad guys win. Sometimes, sometimes the jerk gets the promotion. Proverbs 23 and verse 17 says, Don't be envious of sinful people. Let reverence for the Lord be the concern of your life. Is it, if it is, then you have a bright future. What do you do about those guys that seem to be getting ahead? They're not doing it right. And the guys that are cutting the corner in the business that you're in and they're getting the sales and you're trying to be honest. And what do you do? Sometimes it Sometimes it doesn't all, you know, get settled here. But I want to challenge you, don't worry. The books aren't closed. The bottom line isn't settled. God will settle the score. And He has more than enough to take care of you. When I understand that God will take care of it all, and that He'll settle the score, even if it's someday, I don't have to have a personal goal to right every wrong i can learn to be content so let me just ask you guys here and those of you who are in a campus or listening by a podcast where do you struggle with discontentment where do you struggle with being content just just in your own self and maybe other people don't know maybe it's a family member or it's people at school or people that have more 
talent than you. Or maybe you look at somebody else's wife and you say, you know, God, if, if, if my wife would treat me like she treats him, or you look at somebody else's husband, you say, you know, if he would provide, if, if he was complimentary to me like he is to her, you're struggling with contentment. Maybe it's in the office. Who has the position or whatever it happens to be? Or maybe you're upset by people who have acquired more and accomplished more than you and you're comparing yourself. Or, 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 or maybe it's that whole story that Jesus did and you find yourself relating much too closely with the workers that were upset. Or maybe you're secretly gloating over the failure of somebody else. Deal with it. Deal with it. It's eating you alive. Let's pray. Father, I thank You again for Your Word. God, I thank You for Paul's words on joy and Paul's words on contentment. Thank you for the stories that you tell us, Jesus, so that we can it comes alive to us. And God, in this moment right now, here and at the campuses, I just ask that you would drill down into the deep layers of our hearts. God, that you would peel back those coverings that we put on. And you'd allow us to ask the hard questions. God, I want you to speak to us. Lord, we we're going to be responsible with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.